0: We acknowledge and pay respect to the land and the traditional families of the Yugambeh region of southeast Queensland and to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We would also like to remind listeners that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty
1: has never been ceded. Welcome to Revolting Women. This is an independent podcast brought to you by four independent women. It's time to rethink, rebel, and revolt. So, what do you think about the patriarchy? Do you you want to
0: destroy destroy it?
1: Welcome to episode five of Revolting Women.
2: We hope that you've had a good couple of weeks and are keeping yourself safe in this pandemic because it's getting a bit serious now. I take that back. It's already been serious.
1: (laughs) Have you guys heard about this coronavirus? Gold
3: Coasters have their first.
1: Finally it's finally like hitting power. home, guys. <laughs> Everyone's like,
2: <laughs> time, "Time to take it, it seriously."
4: <laughs> 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 oh god. Anyway, um, <laughs>
1: well, yeah. So, welcome to episode 5. We are uh, we were so stoked with the feedback from last episode and mm-hmm. all of the messages and support (laughs) yeah
2: I would love to point out and just reverberate what we talked about last episode and just make sure that when we are talking about fat phobia and thin privilege that we are recognizing thin privilege and knowing your position in this power structure as well so Mm. if you did take a lot out of last episode like we did it's just so important to remember that if you are a thin person you don't experience the oppression that fat people do and it's just really important to know that and look further into it we have all the resources in the episode notes yeah in
1: our link tree you can go yeah. further research more from our last episode and yeah, yeah let's we're fold into episode five, five.
2: <laughs> today we're talking about toxic masculinity and male fragility
1: just to trigger and content warning for this next episode, we want all women to feel safe and we do not want to exclude anyone from this conversation. And considering that majority of our audience identifies as women, um, we want to make that very clear. As we all know, at least one in every six women will be sexually assaulted in their life. However, we know that every woman has felt violated by a mm-hmm. man at least once in their life as well. The content, statistics and subject matter we discuss will be about rape, sexual violence and assault. We are trying to be delicate and not to focus too heavily on trauma but more so putting the onus back onto the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. If this content at any point is triggering for you tap out please and contact Lifeline at 131114. Please listen with caution and reach out to us if you need it. We are all in this together. If you are a victim of sexual assault please know that you did not deserve it. You deserve to be respected. I believe you and we believe you. You are strong and powerful and worthy. Please please reach out if you need it.
3: Yeah, so I think we're going to kick this episode off um, just talking about the current social climate regarding women um, who have been victims of abuse and that have been coming forward and in, in the limelight at the moment. So there is many women at the moment coming forward, such as Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins, um, Megan Markle, even uh, Chanel Contos. There's uh, allegations on Army Hammer.
1: On so, Jared Hain as well, which is a bit more closer to home in Australia. Yeah. Um, we had the Sarah Everett um, murder in the UK. We've had the Asian hate crimes coming out of America and also in other parts of the world being spawned out. Like, mm-hmm. And it just seems like a really um, heavy time for these things to be in the media and for so much focus to be around violence that is perpetrated towards women mm-hmm. and women in particular. And it's so interesting that our conversations are starting to focus around um, misogyny and that misogyny is such a root cause of this as well, and like linking those things in with rape culture too, and I think with all of the things as well, even with the private school cases and all of the testimonials that are being come out, like it's so interesting to see all of this start to be you know boiled to the surface and everything coming out, and and
0: it's even interesting now that misogyny is even being considered a hate crime in certain parts of the world. Now it's actually been um defined as that now which i think before it was just kind of this up in the air kind of thing that just happened and only some men did it and stuff but now it's actually considered to be a hate crime which i think is such a forward-thinking thing to do
1: When we like look at all of these different instances that are happening all across the world, when we compare, you know, even like the Meghan Markle and Britney Spears documentaries and interviews coming out of like women being, um, I guess, like subjugated in an institutional and a legal sense versus things like the um, schoolgirl testimonials and um, the and then even contrasting that with like the liberal staffer issues as well like they all exist on so many different levels and we have like the institutional level where it is ingrained within our legal system and institutional system and it's making people also realize that this system that we live under wasn't designed to protect women it was Mm. designed to protect white men like Mm -hmm. and so I think these conversations are coming to light so much more and then we move to like the social levels with things um, like Grace Tame where that was in you know a school social environment and her coming out being a stranger of the Year and then for these other things to happen with the Liberal government in Australia coming out, like they're obviously two really juxtaposing instances and then when we look at the interpersonal level then we can see things even just from um, Married at First Sight the other day when we had an exhibition of sexual assault on our TV screens where one contestant named Bryce um, had leaned in to forcibly kiss the other contestant Beck and you can see her physical discomfort and her physical like immediate instinct to flight from that situation and just to have that aired on national TV and not even addressed as this is what sexual assault looks like and this is not okay that then goes into our you know, social, interpersonal relationships with people and how these things do trickle down from the top and then go down into mm-hmm. our day-to-day lives.
2: How she was sexually coerced and sexually assaulted by an authority figure, a teacher at her school that continued to obtain scholarships after his um, he was in jail. Um, and because they were in Tasmania, the one university that they were able to go to, He was allowed to access it and live on dorms with younger girls after he had been a convicted pedophile. Mm -hmm. You can learn more about that when you look into Grace Tame's story and her speech. But a part of her speech that I think is really important is that she says, ''Predators manipulate all of us, family, friends, colleagues, strangers in every class, culture and community. They thrive when we fight amongst ourselves and weaponize all of our vulnerabilities.'' Trauma does not discriminate, nor does it end when the abuse itself does. Mm,
1: that, yeah, that's a really powerful quote. She has so many amazing... Mm. Um, She's an amazing woman. Yeah, she has yeah. so many amazing um, ways of explaining her trauma and being able to like help other people with it too, I think. Yeah,
2: Her story is so powerful yeah. and her being able to speak out... Um, when statistics show that it's 20 years after an assault happens where people actually do feel comfortable to come mm, forward yeah. or 10, 10 years for women, 20 for men. Mm. So her being able to talk about it only a few years after and being able to be so open with us about her story is so amazing and it in- encouraged Brittany Higgins to come out with her story and that has just shown... That has, it just shows <laughs> the ripple effect yeah. as well of like
1: how one person coming forward can just create so much of a... like. More monstrosity of a wave and like I know it's I don't want it to sound like we're trying to like clump all of these different individual intricate issues together but like it's more so just the fact of like every one of these has different levels and different um I guess like they're all in a different spectrum of you know sexual assault and abuse and male manipulation and male control but I think it's important that We know that these are all very separate things, and they all, and we don't want to look like it's make it sound like we're just washing over all of them and labeling all of it because it's not like that. We just wanted to gather them together and show that what is happening today is crazy, really, like for all of these things to be coming out.
3: Definitely, and I think um, from what we want to take for a lot of these things as well is by grace tame having that support from people around her Mm. um she was able to understand her trauma so much more and by being believed by being understood Mm. um she was able to then go on and inspire so many other women so imagine if that happened to most people that were um sexually assaulted or something like that um And just for Grace Tame to inspire Brittany Higgins at such a huge like top institutional level and for this to be happening in a top institutional level just shows how how different or how society is shaped if this Mm. is meant to be the top um, most powerful place in Australia and they're having these problems, you can just see that that would be everywhere in society. With all of these coming to the forefront, there has been a huge conversation around um, victims and abuse and male perpetrators. And I think for the first time, maybe we are starting to actually recognise men being the problem rather than women, which is always mm, nice. Sure. But it is also um, good to take note that these women that have been coming out have like a lot of privilege and for them to come out now and start this massive conversation has hurt a lot of the Indigenous communities and marginalised groups um, because they have been trying to start this conversation for a long time and it's really good that it's all coming out now and we're seeing this but it's also good to note that um, this has been happening to Indigenous people and it's more common to happen to Indigenous people and marginalised groups, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Stan Grant, um, who is a TV political journalist, had was on the Q&A panel Last week, I believe, and it was called Fixing the Future was the title of the episode. And we're going to play just a short clip from his, um, from one of the questions that was made, <laughs> questions that was posed by the audience. Um, and, yeah, we hope you enjoy because I think he sums it up very well of what yeah. this is about and what we mean when Jazzy says that.
4: This is something that has been very apparent to me, is that as necessary and as urgent and as righteous as these claims are, and this movement is, there have been so many women's voices who have not been listened to for a long time. When... And and I just want to say... When it becomes a white, middle-class issue, when it is in private schools, when it is in Parliament House, Mm -hmm. when it is in the press gallery, we take notice. But when Aboriginal women, who have been suffering domestic violence rates 40 times higher, than the rest of the population, 10 times more likely to die as a result of that violence. When I have seen Aboriginal women marching and protesting and calling for support for generations, I did not see the same women outside Palmer House. <laughs> when, when poor women, when poor women, when migrant women, when refugee women have suffered these things, I did not see the same media attention. Poor women don't get interviewed. On television programs they're not on Q&A there are a lot of voices that are not listened to here and I think while this is a movement and a moment we need to also reflect on our own blindness and our biases that we can walk past the suffering of others for such a long time until it lands in your own backyard
0: Yeah, so just coming off the back of that, I want to talk about the um, crossover between racism and sexism that is obviously really clear between some of these current affairs coming to light, but also just historically as well. And you can you can see this narrative playing out historically, even with the prosecutions and narratives surrounding rape, including the fact that very few white men have been prosecuted for rape, despite the weaponization of it in our colonial history and even during slavery against BIPOC women, but instead. Um, even during the time um, of America's history after slavery, there was this myth created of the black rapist and that was utilised to villainize black men after slavery in America. And to still explain this concept more, I'll read this excerpt from Angela Davis's book, Women, Race and Class, where she explains this concept. One of racism's salient historical features has always been the assumption that white men especially those who wield economic power, possess an incontestable right to access to black women's bodies. Slavery relied as much on routine sexual abuse as it relied on whip and lash. In other words, the right claimed by slave owners and their agents over the bodies of female slaves was a direct expression of their presumed property rights over black people as a whole. Group rape, perpetrated by the Ku Klux Klan and other terrorist organisations of the post-Civil War period, became an uncamouflaged political weapon in the drive to thwart the movement of black equality. During the Memphis Riot of 1866, for example, the violence of the mob murders was brutally complemented by the concerted sexual attacks on black women. Such assaults have been ideologically sanctioned by politicians, scholars and journalists and by literacy artists who have portrayed black women as promiscuous and immoral. Racism has always drawn strength from its ability to encourage sexual coercion. While black women and their sisters of colour have been the main targets of these racist-inspired attacks, white women have suffered as well. For once, white men were persuaded that they could commit sexual assaults against black women with impunity. Their conduct towards women of their own race could not have remained unmarred. Racism has always served as a provocation to rape, and white women in the United States have necessarily suffered the ricochet fires of these attacks. This is one of the many ways in which racism nourishes sexism causing white women to be indirectly victimised by the special oppression aimed at the sisters of colour. So um, even in Australia white colonisers would routinely sexually assault First Nations women. However these frontier experiences are rarely spoken about when talking about the true history of Australia and even nowadays as Jazzy was saying before. There's actually a term for this which is called the great Australian silence and this pretty much relates back to the fact that Australia has this long-standing habit of forgetting history including things like invasion, dispossession, massacres and rape of Indigenous women as well. This habit of forgetting is practiced on a large scale by Australians and is also referred to being as a cult of forgetfulness wow wow yeah, really yeah. well <laughs> there's just so much historical trauma and I feel like people refuse to believe it exists and that's what's really sad even we know people who think this too and it's just a really common way of thinking and it makes me really sad yeah. Yeah. and
3: it makes yeah them forgetting it just makes it easier for them as well mm. and to not realize that Um, People have come before them saying the same thing just for it to be a new movement is so much easier than recognizing that um, these same women have put down indigenous women in the past.
1: Yeah, even what you were saying before, Saskia, about the great Australian silence, I found that really interesting and I feel like it links into something we were talking about the other day that you brought up where um, like Australia has, even when it goes the next step of like knowing this history and we have all of these inquiries and royal commissions and data and research and censuses and all of these things where we gather this information about all of these things that happen. Like we have the statistics on um, First Nations women and how this affects them particularly like we have those statistics as well but there is never any implementation of the solutions for this and there is never any action based Mm -hmm. solutions and it's like coming to a point now where we've been given all these suggestions even within the parliament staff and like all of those things going down and nothing is being accepted like i feel like australia specifically like you were saying has such a culture of okay this is a problem this is a problem this is a problem this is a problem and then nothing, and then yeah. it just doesn't ever reach. Yeah, legs, they're or really grow any good further.
3: at like pretending to be progressive or pretending to do an inquiry on an issue to get to the bottom of it. But then, do we hear anything being implemented after these inquiries? It's like they just try to drag it out long enough for the media to stop talking about it, mm-hmm. for the um, protests yeah, to stop, and then they are on to the next issue and doing another inquiry about that. Where do all these inquiries go? <laughs>
0: exactly, and because the real solution is to dismantle the structure these people lose their jobs so true (laughs) like if you listen to women and their suggestions if you listen to indigenous people and their suggestions it fucks them up and that's why yeah. they don't want change to happen that's because they true. don't want to yeah. lose their power. Yeah. They I
3: guess everything that's the been like the system told was built, for them to do, Exactly. Like, no, I don't <laughs> want to do that because I'm going to lose my job. Exactly. I'm going to lose my wealth. Or I'm going to yeah. lose my power.
0: This system <laughs> was built for them. They don't yeah. know how to live in a system that suits minorities and they yeah. don't want to live in that system. And so yeah. that's why they don't listen to people. Yeah.
1: Okay, I think just to wrap this all kind of up in a way and like the two common threads that we can gather from um these, you know, instances happening in happening in our, you know, current state of politics and society and everything, is that we need to believe women and we we have to believe women to have any of this progression. And that men in power will always abuse their power, and all of these things—whether it's Army Hammer, whether it's you know married at first sight, whether it's um, Brittany Higgins, whether it's Scott Morrison, whether it's the Liberal staffers—all of these things, it all comes back to men abusing their power that we give them and hand them on a silver platter. There's not necessarily much work that has to go into it for them to receive this power, and yet we're still giving it to them, still serving it up for them, and then acting surprised. I don't know, I'm not really surprised, but acting surprised when they abuse it. like So we need to have something change when it comes down to these things. Like,
2: um, On the back of what we were just talking about in the last segment, the biggest message that we need to take away is that people don't believe women and that's something that um, obviously is just a forefront in in our conversations every day. Patriarchy conditions boys to not express weakness, vulnerability and help from others. They are shamed for not fitting in the manly mould. They're called gay like it's a bad thing. Victims of assault feel like they can't ever come forward with their truth because the only way for patriarchy to continue is if people keep their mouths shut. Rape culture is everywhere. These are examples of toxic masculinity where a man cannot embrace his positive masculine traits and hereby manifest and create yet another bystander in rape culture.
1: Yeah, I think that's so interesting of what you were saying, Samara. And like, I really um, think that it's so overlooked as well that we don't talk about men within this conversation when Mm. they should be the point of conversation because they are the ones perpetrating the acts and the crimes and men should be the main topic of discussion we shouldn't be talking about women in the sense of you know the circumstances etc etc like we all know that you know, what a woman wears or does has nothing to do with what happens to her. Like, that is all on the onus of men. And I think a really interesting statistic that supports that is that men are 200 times more likely to actually be raped themselves than they are to be falsely accused of rape. Oh, my God. Which I think is just so, like, puts it just so much into perspective for people when we talk about male rape and we also, like, males being victims of rape and we talk about males being falsely accused of rape. Like, there's such that's such a juxtaposition and such a huge gap.
2: There is a lot coming out at the moment where men have started to recognise that they have done this to someone and you are responsible for traumatising someone's life and affecting them. And what you do now is how you act on it and how you show that you are an ally and that you are trying to dismantle patriarchy because otherwise you're just conforming to it.
0: Mm. And that's like the biggest issue is that a lot of men don't actually realise what they're doing constitutes sexual assault. They haven't realised what they've done and I can't remember where I listened to this from but I was listening to a podcast and there was this woman who went around and did these presentations in high schools and it was about consent and she was surprised by how many girls approached her after these presentations to be like, oh my God, Like I think that I've been sexually assaulted. I didn't realise before, but I think that's happened to me from your presentation. Mm. But then she was also surprised to the amount of boys that have approached her privately um, throughout the rest of the day who would come up to her and say, I think I might have done something to make someone feel uncomfortable. And they've come to terms with the fact that
3: what they did was actually assault. And I think that's a huge, huge issue. It is a huge issue. Um, There was a hack podcast, actually, I listened to the other day um, and I found it super interesting. They had... um, a few guys on there um, explaining that over the past few weeks with this conversation being in the media that they had realised they had actually sexually assaulted someone and they had come to terms with it. And on this podcast they had come on and talked about um, how by them actually learning about what is consent and all the, all of these different um, circumstances in which um, there is sexual assault, it's not just... Um, Yeah, physically penetrating a woman um, when she says no. There's so many different circumstances um, under it and they came on it and talked about those experiences and realised that they had sexually assaulted someone and I think that's the start of... seeing change and start of really believing women um is by having these men actually say yes I did that and I'm really sorry and um I didn't realize what it was then but we need a conversation to know or we need education to know um what is consent what is sexual assault what um should I do in these situations what shouldn't I do in these situations not just Mm. um yeah, the, they need the tools, and we need yeah. the education, and we need these men to come out and realize what they've done. And we're not putting them on a pedestal or anything. This is just the bare minimum that they yeah. can do. But before the bare minimum is done, yeah, we need it to to be yeah. done. Like oh, okay. before they can go on and be an ally, they have to admit that they have done this in the first place. Um, and I even think coming back to um, the two to eight percent being oh. false reports is really important. Um, just to like clarify, like what that means because so many people don't believe women and they just believe it's false because the man is like I never did that or or that wasn't sexual assault or um, that this didn't happen but what can also go into a false report is a baseless report where people don't have enough it's not people the police don't have enough evidence to go forward with um, actually pursuing a sexual assault uh, a sexual assault case um, which means that it just gets thrown out of court and chucked in the statistics that it was a false report or it was um, yeah. a basis report so it, it's even less than two to eight percent um, that are claiming false reports because a lot of them they just don't have enough evidence and it's really hard to um, get the evidence that they need to actually pursue a sexual assault case especially when now we know that it's not just um Uh, like forceful penetrative sex that can be classed as sexual assault there is an array of things that can be
1: yeah and also when we talk about the statistics i know that you know somewhere you might have seen you know two percent five percent we can't have accurate result there's no way we can have completely accurate results for this like jazzy was saying because there is so many variants with it within it and criminologist dr fileborn actually talks about um what that that you know of false reports is and it is because you know police jurisdictions can vary by state so what comes into um you know the time limit for being able to make accusations and things like that and to have those things always comes into play with it and it's state by state so there is no you know national kind of standard for that even when we talk about the false reports as well and like People love, and even just like what you were saying before, Jazzy, about, you know, these men realising years and years later, like, um, I sexually assaulted someone. The exact same thing is true for women realising they've been sexually assaulted. And so much of sexual assault happens between to women specifically between the ages of, you know, around 12 to their early 20s and in those years of our lives like where we will become sexually active and when we don't receive the proper education around it women get taken advantage of and men will use their power once again by age gaps, by you know knowledge or maturity or financial status and they use that as a way of having privilege and power over these women who don't don't have complete control as well when they're not like you're not always going to be in complete control of a situation especially when there's those power imbalances so women are entering into their 20s looking back at their sexual experience From when they were a teenager or when they were younger, and realizing, like, with newfound knowledge and perspective and retrospect, that oh, that actually was sexual assault, and like, that is why so much doesn't get reported, and why so many things and I think it's like 90% actually 90% of rape um, cases don't get reported so even when we're talking about you know the 2% that's actually only 10% of recorded instances because women don't go to the police yeah I actually have some statistics of where women actually go when they get when they are sexually assaulted so seven out of 10 women will seek advice support from family and friends four out of 10 women will go to a GP slash health professional One out of four women will go to a support worker, hotline or counsellor and one out of six women will go to the police.
2: Mm. And I wonder why as well because the police are not set up to actually protect us and help us and it's very evident with what's going on in the media and in mass popular culture at the moment with our governments, um, they're still
0: in their jobs and (laughs) they're just being passed around like nothing's happened. For sure and it goes back to this believing women thing and the thing is, is at the end of the day, women do not get anything out of making false yeah. allegations. You don't get fame. You don't mm. get money. And so why don't we believe women? And I think that is like such a big thing of, you know, why do we jump straight into these assumptions that they're lying about this or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I think you might remember us talking about this in our internalized misogyny episode mm. and some of the stereotypes or misconceptions people have about women. Mm. And just to reiterate what those are, it's that we gossip too much. We are untrustworthy. We are too emotional and what people don't realize about these stereotypes is that they directly impact our social identities Mm. which is then perpetrates the oppression we face in society which is this which is rape it's sexual assault yeah and so having these beliefs about women is also pretty much having implicit bias which is associating these stereotypes without consciously knowing to do so so most people you might think oh I don't believe that about women but naturally in the society you do women have it about each other as well it happens with yeah. the internalised misogyny so um for example in the context of this episode about sexual assault when women come out and say things like this happened to me our implicit bias decides whether or not we immediately believe her yeah or we jump straight into these stereotypes she's just being dramatic she's just over exaggerating i know Mm. him he would never do something Mm. like that so (laughs) she, she must be lying or that can't have been as bad as she's making it out to be yeah all of these thought patterns are stereotypes rigidly implemented into our implicit bias it's What prevents us from thinking straight away, okay, I'm here for you and I'm going to believe you?
1: Love that. That's amazing. And these myths, like what you were talking about, and these myths and this implicit bias – Causes the underreporting that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. This is the that is the effect. So if women are constantly seeing other women not being believed and being subjugated for coming out about these allegations, and seeing it amongst their friends, seeing people tell these stories and have the gut reactions of you know no I I, I know him or I know them they would never do that like mm-hmm. uh, wh- who's that random person their word against his like yep. it turns into that and that causes the underreporting because victims think that they won't be believed. So yeah. why what is the point? And that is reflective in those statistics before of why only one in six women will go to the police about it because they see it amongst them like they see it within their social lives and they see it within their families and their friend groups and it's so important that we're calling this out there was a study that was done of like what do Australians think about sexual assault, mm. and it found that two in five agreed that it was common for sexual assault allegations to be used as a way of getting back at men. Mm. And poor um men. another one <laughs> poor them. and another one yeah, was one in five. Yeah, 1 in 5 people were unaware that non-consensual sex in marriage is illegal and um 1 in 10 people believe women are probably lying. But this I actually is the think that's I think that statistic is actually higher. I think it needs to be updated. Yep. And like these statistics don't align. Like ideo- our ideologies fundamentally are not aligned with the evidence and yep. like we need to go back to that is like we have all of this evidence what is blocking us from making this change and what is blocking us from actually acting on it and it's because of the socialization that we have to not believe women and the patriarchy's place in upholding that as well yep, for sure just while we're on this topic as well um I think that we just really need to highlight again that certain populations are more likely to experience this form of of sexual assault and that includes um, homeless people, people who have disabilities, people Mm -hmm. who identify as lesbian, gay, bi, trans and gender gender diverse, previous victims of sexual assault and Mm -hmm. First Nations and Torres Strait Islander people as well. And um, it's something that we need to talk about, especially as well with trans men and women when we talk about Trans Visibility Day and knowing that these issues predominantly do affect them and we need to get rid of the narrative of the dark alleyway rapist and, you know, Mm -hmm. the innocent damsel in distress because that is not what rape looks like and we need to start reframing our language that we use around it, which is what Jamila Jamila actually talks about in using passive voice when we talk about these things as well and how the way that we're talking about rape and using our passive voice when we say, violence against women something that just happens to women like this uh, who you know this mystical creature who Mm. does it to women like no these are the people around us in our lives as well and like we really need to be highlighting and centering women who are most affected by this in our conversations as well on a day-to-day basis
0: So um, in this next section, we're going to be talking about benevolent sexism. This is something we spoke about in previous episodes.
1: Benevolent sexism is defined as positive evaluations of women who conform to traditional gender roles. So it has three components that it um, falls under, which is heterosexual intimacy, complementary gender differentiation and protective paternalism mm. and those are the three main components that benevolent sexism can be defined as and the point with it is it is necessi- it isn't necessarily outright sexism where it's that intense hatred of women in those really explicit examples that we see but it's the actions and the beliefs and the language that perpetuate misogyny which then perpetuates this rape culture mm. that we are living in.
2: Yeah that was a really good way to um, describe it and to define it and because it is in our everyday occurrences it's like the small things like for example Scott Morrison quoted my wife only wanted to be a mother so I gave that to her (laughs) (laughs) I literally had ScoMo
1: written next to my (laughs) definition Protective paternalism yeah. because that I care about my daughters yeah. and my mom and, and my like, wife. Even <laughs> just those like that that infographic that's going around mm-hmm. of like I'm someone's mother, daughter, mm-hmm. sister, wife, friend. Like crossing out all those things. It's just I'm somebody. Like I'm a human yeah. fucking being. Like that's it. And it's just this protective way of like men thinking that they have to control women and yeah. you know have that protective paternalism, and then that gives them the excuse. But when they perpetrate these acts of violence to be like, I love women. I love women. You'll never meet anyone that loves women as much as I do.
2: Literally treating women like fragile little creatures. Like
0: that's what it starts out to be. Yeah, and so what these benevolent sexist ideologies, they construct women as these creatures devoid of agency as well. Mm. And I think the issue with this is it leads men to routinely presume women's consent to Mm. sexual activity, um, whether or not such consent actually exists. And I think that is a strong issue and I think that... Um, you get the certain things like men convincing women to have sex with them and, you know, the thing of it, if it's not big fucking fat yes, then it's a no. Yep. If there's hesitation, if there's oh, maybe not or any of that kind of stuff, it's a no. And I think that presuming consent in every situation, even within relationships as well, if just because you're
3: in a relationship with someone doesn't mean that they consent to sex every single time you want to have it with them. Oh, yep. and I think this comes into play a lot with vanilla. Benel- benevolent sexism as well because they see um men that betray uh, benevolent sexism see them as the good guys as the guys that would never have sex with a girl if they didn't want to but then when a woman they are mid-sex or they're they're um they're hanging out or they're doing something together and if a woman hesitates or something they will coerce them they will make mm. them feel like they are the good guys I'm a good guy don't worry about it I can do this when no she has said no so stop trying to manipulate her or use this good guy antidote to um, then uh, exploit her or manipulate her or sexually abuse her. Men
2: know that yeah. they have privilege yeah. and they know that they have this dominance and therefore they use that and they harm other people and they they abuse the power yeah
1: because we've given them this power with the patriarchy yeah we personally haven't yeah not us society society has given men these power and so naturally they're just going to abuse it because there is no um there's no regulation for it either as well and like we've talked about this before jazzy and um you were telling me about how the law like was created to protect property like mm. it was created to protect white men and their property and like we can't just build off of that system that was created for that sole purpose like it needs to be completely restructured yep. and recreated and even just the way we view sex in general needs to be reevaluated as well
0: yeah it's only been like a recent in recent times where legal changes have happened as well where you know women um, have been allowed to divorce their husbands without their permission, or you know, um, marital rape and stuff is taken into account, and or uh, women just being seen as property to men as well. These are all recent legal changes that have happened, in, in the later half of last century, and so uh, you know we're only seeing that change society slowly in society now and the culture of that too and that is why it's so ingrained in our society that men have this
3: innate um power over us or feel like they do yeah and that's where you do see um the shift between, like, hostile sexism, um, which used to be so much more prominent um, in society, but because they did bring in these laws and have changed um, the way we view um, sexual assault, um, etc., um, then bene- benevolent benevolent oh my god fucking word (laughs) (laughs) benevolent sexism comes into play and this is the new form of sexism that they can get away with and then now um it seems like we'll try to to fight against this type type of sexism a few laws will be put in but there will still be it just seems but they just it just seems like society just creates new ways of being sexist or of trying to control women and that comes from us still being under a patriarchal society and having all of misogyny everything goes towards this patriarchal society so when we still have um, this system it's always going to just find different ways to oppress people mm. and get into our lives. For sure. And a uh,
0: toxic masculinity <laughs> is a term that's thrown around so much and I think it's almost just lost some of its value in a yeah. way. But it is a really important term because not all males hold these toxic masculinity Traits. It's literally just within patriarchal structures that it emerges. And a term that we want to bring up now is male fragility, Mm. and this is a really interesting term that I have only recently come to light with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, fragile masculinity refers to anxiety felt by men who believe they are falling short of cultural standards of manhood.
2: Yeah, that makes complete sense, because with what I was saying before, if men aren't feeling like they're performing to the top tier of masculinity and they're showing vulnerability or emotions or they're showing feminine traits, then they are ostracized or they're treated Mm. as such and then they feel like they aren't performing and that's where male fragility comes in
0: and this is also where rape culture comes in and uh, Ruby and I love these pyramids (laughs) get out the pyramid (laughs) yeah we love the pyramid (laughs) and so this pyramid is the pyramid of rape culture and basically it's the normalization which is at the bottom tier of the pyramid which goes into the top tier of the pyramid which is assault and so at the top tier is you know rape, drugging, molestation stealthing which is covert condom removal which is purposely removing a condom during sex without consent and then also contraceptive sabotage and then as you go down to the bottom layers of the pyramid it's things like unsolicited nude pics it's revenge porn it's groping Mm. it's sexist attitude it's catcalling it's rape jokes it's locker room banter it's coercion and manipulation it's threats it's all of these things that i think a lot of men do are just on in their yep. male settings, in Facebook groups, yep. on um, just among their friends in locker rooms, or you know, having a beer with the boys and making these yep. um, sexist and misogynistic jokes and stuff. But they all contribute to that top level. We cannot the. The uh, tolerance of the behaviours at the bottom supports or, or, or excuses those higher up. To change outcomes, yep. we must change the culture of those yep. things at the bottom. Definitely,
3: And that starts with other men calling their mates out when they say it. It's not enough to just not contribute to that pyramid. It's calling them out. And this comes into male fragility because you might once you call someone out they're going to feel fragile they're going to feel called out and that's what um a lot of men struggle with and it's the same with white fragility when you're called out for something that makes you feel uncomfortable you can go two ways you can either fight against that or you can sit with yourself and reflect and if more of these men just sat with themselves when they were called out instead of fighting they sat with themselves and reflected and actually heard what people are calling them out for or trying to understand what they're getting called out for I think um, they'll be able to understand it and really actually try to change and and stop talking about it because once people are called out, they're not going to talk about it again.
1: Yeah, I was actually reading something and they were talking about how um, Mm. self-reflection is not a fundamentally masculine trait Mm. and how self-reflection itself is considered a, um, you know, if we're talking about gender roles and like gender normativity – like self-reflection is not considered to be masculine at all and it is more considered a feminine thing which comes back to male fragility and why what you were talking about with why men can't have this self-reflection and to realize that and even those stories of the men on the hack coming and saying like I realize that it's not a hard thing to do like you're not you're you're only going to benefit yourself and the people around you by having this self-reflection and being like fuck I have been complicit in this shit like I have been a part of this problem and like we all have we're all Complicit in perpetrating yep. rape culture as well with our ideologies and with the things yep. that we say. And what Saskia was saying is all of the little things all hold up and are the foundation of these really violent um, acts as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's really interesting um, that you brought up the that masculine traits aren't actually... They're not related to yeah self-reflecting or or they don't have those traits most of the time. And I think that does come from women always having to self-reflect on who they are, what they should do, their behaviours in society, how they should um, protect themselves. We are constantly self-reflecting.
1: And even just like if like we're going to, I guess, maybe move into talking about, you know, how do you move forward and how do we kind of move forward with this? Um, And just like even as majority of our listenership is women, but just, like, in, if you're a man, like, we are addressing you as well, specifically Mm. in this now, and, like, the things that you can do in your life to actively support and actively believe women and show that support, um... (sighs)
2: Yeah, if you're not challenging the misogyny, stereotypes, victim-blaming, rape culture, patriarchal structures, objectification, slut-shaming that is entrenched in your social interactions, institutions, relationships, media, language, then you are conforming to patriarchy. You're not a good guy. You're not a feminist. You're a bystander and your male fragility is showing.
0: (laughs) Why don't you want to change why don't Mm. you want to make the female sorry I don't like that word yeah women the women in in your life feel safe or just even random strangers like why don't you want to make them feel safe in this world because there's so many simple little acts that you can do to make them feel safe and there's certain little things that you can do within your friendship groups and to challenge these ideologies and these jokes and all of these things to make women safer because you're you're challenging patriarchy at
2: that point. Yeah, and when we talk about calling your friends out, it doesn't mean that you have to turn around and go, that's fucked, shut the fuck up. You just have to turn around and sometimes just ask why? Or please explain yourself yeah. or why like why is that a joke? And people are so taken aback when someone when doesn't... forced to,
1: com- to yeah, explain exactly. what, them, what they're saying, yeah. Exactly,
2: because, like, just because women aren't listening to these conversations you're having doesn't mean that it's reflecting onto what happens to us because that's where it starts. And all of you guys normalising this shit, making jokes about it, posting it on social media, having your blokes group chats and shit and just making a joke about women's rights and women's problems is conforming to patriarchy and
1: yeah. your and toxic it's not, masculinity it's not is not strong or masculine.
2: It's yeah. As fuck. So, some red flags because we do have majority women on this podcast, and I'm sure that you're aware of a lot of the red flags that do pop up. But some things that I would like to let you know are definite red flags and things that you should definitely seek out to talk to someone, professional help, talk to your friends. If someone tells you that their ex is crazy, fucking run. <laughs> if your guy friends don't respect your boundaries traumas personal space if they make rape jokes run Yeah. men who victimize themselves when women are talking about their trauma and experiences Mm. men who laugh at therapy and self-help men who don't listen to you when you try to help them even when they seriously need it run stop wasting your time there is no way that you can be focusing on yourself when you're trying to help a man child Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're, not, You're not a mom. <laughs> yeah you don't need to take care of You're him honey <laughs> Men who make it about themselves And how it's hard for them when confronting Allegations or topics on sexual assault And patriarchy Run <laughs> Men who tell you they're a nice or good guy But you didn't ask Run <laughs> Same goes for women who don't believe other women People who don't take this seriously are red fucking flags And not someone you should trust or rely on Run
1: I love that so much because <laughs> it's so easy. As well as women, we're here to cater to men's fucking feelings mm. all the time. And it's time that we start standing up for ourselves and saying, fuck no. Yeah. And running away from these people that are not here for it. They're not going to change. And they're not on the bandwagon for change either. Yep. Like Not that it's a bandwagon, but they're not in this fight that yeah. we're fighting. And so you can't pull them with you. You can't drag them yeah. along. You need to keep moving forward Do with it for the yourself. people that are going to to be a part of this with you as well and do it yep. for yourself. So true as well because even just as victims of sexual assault, you need people around you who believe your experience and are going to validate it for you and not deny it and gaslight you into, you know, all of those standard things. If, you know, we yeah. know him, he's a good guy, he would never and do And capitalising on
2: your trauma
0: as yeah. well. Yeah, just mm.
1: like, oh, it's ridiculous. It's just
2: too much. <laughs> it's fight <a side> up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just find that even, like, with a lot of women and men who justify – finding out when their male friends are <laughs> perpetrators of sexual assault or something is they care more about their reputation and yeah. them being a yeah. good so person and the actually rep. caring about the victims. Like that is trauma. That is fucking lifelong That is lifelong trauma that that person has inflicted. And if they're not willing to change, then they're not fucking worth it. And if you're supporting it and not going against it, then you are a part of the problem too. You are a part of that rape culture.
1: They are not a good person. Women and men who do that as well.
2: They're not good people if they conform or if they do... Um, sexually assault someone. They're not good people yeah. and they should not be your friends. We see it.
1: Christian, On the highest level, on the highest pinnacle of examples, Christian Porter was demoted with an equal pay <laughs> from his position after being accused of... Well, yeah, accused, allegedly. Allegedly. So allegedly <laughs> Christian Porter. Allegedly Christian Porter. And he, he wasn't even... He didn't even lose his job. Like men's reputations aren't at stake because we can see that they don't... Their reputations aren't harmed. Yeah. Like if anything, the reputations of the women who come forward are harmed and they're the ones that are blacklisted. They're the ones that are, are affected by it. The culture doesn't change unless
0: you do. And that is the moral of this whole entire story. Yeah.
1: And what we do about this and
2: how we make sense of this is... Is find your rage and not the violent rage. Find the rage that burns in your chest, the rage that hides behind coldness, security, and conformity. Know that you will lose friends because of feminism, because of toxic masculinity and male fragility. People do not deserve our time, attention, or validation if they're racist, ableist, transphobic, homophobic, violent, predatory, or misogynistic.
1: think as well this is a really this can be a little tidbit for later but I feel like this is just a really huge topic and like we only have a certain amount of time that we can talk about it. And there's obviously so many things that we wish we could delve into, but we've got a million more episodes (laughs) coming where you can hear it. (laughs) So like there would obviously have been things that we might not have touched on that you might've wanted to hear. So please DM us and send us some feedback on what you thought about this episode, because obviously it is so huge and there are so many facets that we could touch on. And we kind of just wanted to do a very kind of like broad um, one and address it because so many things have been happening in the media lately about it um, but we definitely know that this goes way 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 beyond what we've spoken about in this episode so we definitely encourage you to um, interact with our resources and with our references for this episode and yep. continue your own further personal research about it yeah
2: and we believe you and we we love you and we support you. And if anyone out there needs help, please contact Lifeline one eight hundred respect. Um, talk to someone close to you because we know that these sorts of things are so triggering, <sighs> triggering,
1: and yeah. difficult to talk about. And also, just don't be afraid to tap out of these conversations mm, with people yeah. who are who aren't interested in your personal well being as well. Yeah. Like if you're. Like having to bring up trauma and all of these things, redirect them to this episode. Like, don't waste your time trying to explain to people what your experience meant to you and what how what effect that had on you, because it is not your responsibility yep. to um, justify your trauma as yep. well. It and it's never not, your fault. It's no one's business as well either. Yep. If you don't ha- want to have to, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to talk yep. about it with someone who can actually help you, not someone who's just going to be there to deny your experience. Yep. If as you well. don't want
2: to report, you don't have to report everything that you do after you. So survived something like that is should up to be you. you as yep. well
1: it should just be for you only and yeah we just want to reiterate that
0: and it's also important if you're there to support someone who has been a victim of sexual assault to not push them don't expect them to explain their trauma to you don't push them to go to the police mm-hmm. make sure you're there just to believe them mm-hmm. and listen to them and be there for them to reach out when they're ready to reach out because pushing just um, brings up old trauma and. It's just obviously... It's an unhealthy way to um, go about the exactly. conversation regardless. And they don't owe you anything from their experience to yep. have to explain it to you. Yep.
2: Yep. <laughs> we'll see you next episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on toxic masculinity and malfragility and t- took quite a lot out of it. Sorry if we offended anyone out there. Not really. Thank
3: you for listening to this episode of Revolting Women. We hope you were able to learn at least one new thing from us today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as it helps more people find us. You can follow us on Instagram at revolting
2: women Podcast, or click the link in our show notes. You will be able to find the sources we referred to in this episode today. If you have any feedback, questions, episode topics, want to open up a discussion or come on to the podcast, we would love to hear from you.
3: We would like to take this moment to also state that we are not the creators nor pioneers of this information and our aim is to build upon the pre-existing teachings that have informed us. We say thank you to the Black and Indigenous women of colour, LGBTQIA communities, activists and trailblazing feminists that have fought so we could thrive.
2: If this episode has brought up any triggering feelings, please know that our DMs are open to you. You can contact mental health services such as Headspace, which is a free Australian youth-based service at 1800 650 890 or Lifeline at 131 114. Remove the stigma and reach out. See you next episode.
0: (laughs) What's wrong with that?